All right. You know what we're praying for is a baby grand piano. So uh, the girls, all the piano players, I could care less, really. But uh, the girls, the girls want a baby grand and uh, get rid of these pianos, move the platform over. And so if you know of one and it's cheap and free and all that stuff and good and quality, uh, maybe um, uh, what's uh, maybe a Dusseldorfer or a Kawai or a Yamaha or huh? Oh, Steinway would be fine. Yeah. What's the other ones that are good? Uh, oh, Baldwin. Yeah. What do they use in the uh, the operas? Probably Steinway. <laughs> a Steinway. Hey, I don't care if it plays really well and sounds really good. Uh, so keep your eyes open. We don't have any money, so we don't want to pay for it. No, just joking. Just joking. But wouldn't it be great? Uh, so I want to uh, just throw that out. Listen, uh, you're wondering where everybody is today, aren't you? Yeah, we the elephant in the room is really, really over here somewhere. Now, I want to explain something. The Bible says that no, you're not an elephant. The, the Bible says where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now, I can tell what you're thinking. Where is everybody? Stop worrying about where everybody is. I'll tell you why. In the Bible, the only time that God ever mentioned the number of people in church was on the day of Pentecost where uh, 3,000 got saved and baptized. If you want a standard, there's the standard. If you want to be depressed, there's a good reason to be depressed, right? Have you ever noticed why in the Bible, in Revelation, seven churches were mentioned in one, just two chapters? Not one time did God ever tell anybody how many people were going to church. Now, I got pastors that think that everything is so important about how many people are in church. And I do too sometimes. I'm, I, I, I grieve. I want more people in church. However, let me ask you something. Where in the Bible does it say it matters how many people are going to church? Nowhere other than what Jesus said, two or more. Two, there's Jesus putting the standard. And then he says, now I'm preaching to myself this morning before the message. Don't compare. God doesn't care. He just cares about you and he cares about what we're going to be doing today. Uh, so, yes, let's pray for more people. I'm praying all my girls get married and bring in guys. And then they all have kids and uh, say, hey, let's keep up with mom and dad, so let's have 11. How about all my daughters get married and have 11 kids? Let's not talk about that. Uh, but I got boys, too. I got, they, you know, uh, I'd say, hey, Justin, why don't you get married and have 11 kids? <laughs> He's out of town today. But, uh, hey, Jason, Jason's down there. He could, hey, he could get married and have 11 kids. No, 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 no. Wrong, wrong answer. But, you know, uh, the, the Lord knows, and uh, I want, you're wondering if I'm bummed out, aren't you? I'm not. I'm not. I really want more people to come to church. We have families come and go and come and go and come and go and go and go and go and go. But uh, that's okay. Brother Carlson and I were talking this morning about the, the day and, and the age that we're living in. It is not easy to get a crowd. We don't have rock music. We don't have 
a lazy, good-for-nothing, uh, corrupt, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, counterfeit Bible. We don't have um, tongues, and we don't have all that. So we're paying the price, but we still love people, and we want to see them saved and baptized. And we still go out, and we still talk to people about Jesus. All right. With that, with that in mind, I was really encouraged today to think, well, you know, there's not one port, part in the Bible where God mentions how many people you're supposed to have in church. So for me this morning, I am amazed that you are here. I thank God for all of us. I thank God for everybody. And I want you to uh, pay attention. Don't look over to the right. Look right up here, okay? And um, in fact, Joy, if you'd like to sit right here in the front, I'm <laughs> just joking. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know how they put up with me as a dad. I put my kids on the spot so much. They're just used to it. Oh, yeah, he's just acting that way again. But let's let's have a good time this morning, okay? So uh, pray for Brother Ibanez. Um, they have friends uh, that are here this morning from California. So uh, we're, we're doing great. Let's get into the Bible this morning. I have a message for you, and I can't wait to preach it. So I want everybody to get a Bible. All right, let's uh, go to Isaiah chapter number 12, right about the middle of your Bible, uh, Isaiah chapter 12. And I want to preach a message this morning encouraging us uh, about, about what we are and what, what we have coming. God has given us uh, living water. Remember the woman at the well? Uh, we're going to take a look at that if we have time this morning. But let's go to Isaiah chapter 12. This is looking into the future. And this is talking about how that Isaiah was letting Israel know that one day God won't be angry with you anymore. And now right now, uh, God has uh, given Israel a nation again. They're in their own land and pray for them, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But here's a picture of one day uh, during what, what the Bible calls a millennial reign of Christ. And now watch this now, verse number 1 of chapter 12. Let's read verses 1 through 6, and then let's pray, all right? Now, it says in uh, Isaiah 12, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me. Thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His doings among the people, make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. There will be a day 
when this world will ring with the sound of people praising God. For Lord, we pray today that you'll help us, Lord, to be encouraged more than anything. Help us to be excited. Help us to be energized. Help us to uh, just be ready to uh, praise you at any moment. And we pray also, God, and thank you this morning for good weather. We thank you now finally that it looks like spring has sprung and we're ready to go for the summer months. And we pray that we'd accomplish a great deal in our church and in our people. And right now, today, in this message, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if I could do anything this morning, I, I want to encourage you. I do. I want to encourage you. It's easy for a preacher to stay encouraged if he's in his Bible, right? Because uh, you can't study all the time every day. You can't get into your Bible and read it all the time and then be depressed. It's not, it's not, it's not possible. You can't take this book and keep reading it and reading it and reading it and study it and cross-referencing and spending time in the Word and then, uh, and, and, and then get up off the chair and say, Oh, well, life just stinks. I'm sorry. That's not possible if you believe the Bible. It's going to be one day, and I know that we always look forward, and we've been preaching on this lately, uh, but it is true, but, but not just in the future. Let me, let me explain something. Jesus uh, told us if we would accept him as Savior, out of our bellies would flow rivers of living water. This isn't something just for the future. You can give people living water because you have it. You have it with you, in you, out of your belly, inside of you, down in deep in your soul. You have the Holy Spirit. You can be a blessing to other people. You can, you can actually uh, give water of life freely. And when we draw from the wells of salvation, if you look at verse number three real quick, therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. So this passage didn't really start in chapter 12. It started actually, this subject it actually started in the previous chapter. So would you turn with me to chapter number 11 and verse number 10? We're going to see why, why Isaiah preached this. Verse number 10, and in that day, look at the first word of chapter 12, in that day. There's a day coming. He's referring to this in verse number 10 of chapter 11. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse. Hold on. Do you know who this is speaking of right now? Right? Who was Jesse's son? His, he was the king of Israel, right? Jesse was the, was the dad, and he had sons. I think he had eight. David was the son, the youngest son. And out of that lineage of family came the Lord Jesus Christ. He is an offspring in the flesh of King David. So now Isaiah is saying, look at this now. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Now that Jesse's already dead and gone, right? She's referring to Jesus Christ. And he's affirming the fact that Jesus is going to come through the lineage of Jesse and Boaz and David. You can see the genealogy there. He's saying... There's coming a Savior, a root of Jesse. Verse number 10, which shall stand for an ensign of the people 
to it the Gentiles shall seek, and his rest shall be glorious. So he, his rest, this one that's coming from David, the root of Jesse, is going to give us rest. Verse 11, And it shall come to pass in that day, there's the phrase again, in that day, that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left. Now watch it. This is the Jewish people. One day, the promise that Jesus will come. And uh, not he's not referring to the, uh, the, the cross now. He's talking about the, the ruling. It says, from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and Shinar and Hamath and from the islands of the sea. The whole world is going to have a remnant of the Jews, the true Jews, real live Jewish people are going to filter back into the land that is of their native soil, the Holy Land. And they're going to, they're going to be greatly rejoicing. They're going to be praising God, as chapter 12 said. Look at verse 12 of chapter 11. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Do you realize this thing called genetics is getting pretty interesting, isn't it? Did you know that there's genetic studies now that have gone so deep into They can catch, a, catch somebody a murderer by uh, the fact that they might not have the person, but they got some DNA, right? And they can say, well, we know that he's Caucasian. We know that he's uh, European. Uh, they can get all those facts out of genetics. And it's only going to get better and better. I don't know how they do it. But the molecular and the at atomic structure of genetics is only a field that they can get even deeper into. And I believe somehow, some way, they might even in the future be able to tell you are a real true, true Jew from the tribe of. I don't know if that's possible now but it's it's really incredible what they're doing however God's going to do that though he said he shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together to disperse notice this from Judah the tribe of Judah how are they going to really prove that these people are from the tribe of Judah I don't know God can do it just by saying it he, he doesn't have to have us to help him Although, I think he's going to uh, back up everything he does. All right, but it says, from the four corners of the earth, the envy also, verse 13, of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. You know what this is saying? Esau, Esau and Jacob are going to get along. Um, Ishmael and Isaac are going to be getting along. The Jews and the Arabs will one day get along. Why? Because the Prince of Peace is there. Jesus Christ is going to come. There's not going to be any peace on this earth. The peace process is a lie. There's no peace process. The only peace process that, that, that Palestine wants is for the Jews to go into the ocean and die. 
And uh, the only peace process that all the enemies of Israel want, including Iran and Russia and all the rest, all they really want is for Israel to just die and go away. That's their peace process. Sorry, that's not God's peace process. When God's peace process comes, salvation will ring and reign throughout the whole earth. And they will draw, draw water from the wells of salvation. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Let's go now to verse, um, uh, verse number 14. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. They shall spoil them of the east. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab. And the children of Ammon shall obey them. These are all enemies of, of Israel right now. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make them make men go over dry shod. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. It's amazing, isn't it, that God's going to make a way for all the Jews to come back to Israel and they're going to set up um, the kingdom of the Lord. That day, people will draw, wa draw water from the wells of salvation. So, in that day, Jesus will give rest to his people. All true Jews will be gathered as a remnant. That's not the most uh, advanced, um, populous nation in the world. There's, uh, there's not, not too many compared uh, to all the other nations. Isn't that amazing that in that day that nobody will ever speak Egyptian anymore? Egyptian in the Bible has never had a good connotation. Everything in Egypt has always been negative. Everything about Egypt, in fact, he says, I will call my son out of Egypt. Uh, the world is likened to Egypt. We're going to be taken out of the world. There's nothing good uh, that that Egypt represents. In fact, one day their whole language will be dissolved. Nobody will speak Egyptian anymore. It's amazing. All the war and all the envy and the vexation that's going on right now toward the Jews will be utterly dispersed and gone. It will evaporate. The whole world will not hate the Jews anymore. I'm, I'm proud to be a supporter of Israel. I am very proud. I'm not proud in a boastful way. I'm just really, I feel wonderful that I'm on the right team. And, uh, and, and Jesus was a Jewish man. And uh, uh, all the authors of our Bible, every writer in the Bible was a Jewish person, a Jewish man. So the, he's going to have a highway of the remnant. They're going to flow back into Israel. And the highway for travel and the remnant is going to be glorious. And the whole world will ring with the joy of salvation. And Israel is going to be just praising God that, he, that, that God the Father kept them alive when the whole world wanted to kill them. Now, therefore, in chapter 12, therefore, because that we just saw with all that wonderful truth in chapter 11, with joy we shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. Now, salvation, think about salvation. That's not a real popular subject today in the way that the Bible said that Jesus is our Savior. 
Do you realize that the word salvation has a lot of connotation to it, doesn't it? Um, if you think about this, it's not popular to talk about salvation today in the world. It's not, it's not a wonderful subject because it's kind of sobering. And the, the reason is because salvation implies that somebody's lost. If you say, have you been saved yet? It automatically uh, infers that they need to be saved because they're lost. See how offensive that word is? But to us, see how wonderful it is? We'll draw water out of the wells of salvation. Think about this now. The wells, what is a well of salvation? Well, that's wherever you find the water of life. That's, that's where you find the, the uh, everlasting um, water, the, uh, the water that gives life. Uh, then secondly, salvation implies that somebody has to make a decision about it. If I ask somebody, would you like to be saved? Um, that's almost an offensive thing to somebody. Not only does it mean that, that they might be lost, but they also, are you going to do something about it, right? You have to make a decision. So I've made my decision, but a lot of people haven't made their decision in life. And that's why people think, oh, that's a strange thing to talk about. You are really weird. Uh, you must be one of those Bible-thumping people. Oh, my goodness. Uh, there's lots of uh, congressional people now that are against uh, abortion and against uh, different things that, that the world says is, is okay. You realize how rare we are now? Cause, but, but when you talk about salvation, oh my goodness, now you've really gone too far. You're not a wacko Bible thumper, are you? Oh yeah, I really am. I really am. You know, the woman at the well, Jesus said, uh, would you give me some water? And she says, or would, would you give, and, and she said, you don't have anything to draw with. So, he said, you should, if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water. There's that well. And isn't it amazing that the well of water of salvation is so unwanted now? This subject is so offensive to some people. I, have, I might be lost. I have to make a decision. Number three, the word salvation implies that there, there must be a state of dependence upon somebody else if I'm saved and I'm that means I'm I might be lost and I have to make a decision then I need a savior right I have to have somebody that saves me so this is getting deep and it's getting offensive to the world you might be lost you have to make a decision and you have to rely on somebody other than yourself because you're not saved this is terribly terribly offensive to people that don't believe in Christ. Or, in my case and in your case, it was the best news you ever heard. Amen? It was the best thing you ever heard. Because, uh, yeah, you, we, we are lost without Christ. Yes, we do have to do something about it. And, yes, we needed somebody that could do that. We needed somebody that could, could affect this thing called salvation. But number four, it, it also uh, implies a looming danger. Think about this, saved from what? If you, if you talk about salvation, you're breaking into a huge, huge subject 
that has ramifications. I might be lost. I have to make a decision. I have to depend on somebody else. Uh, but then fourthly, save from what? Why can't I stay in the same state that I'm in, this lost condition? What's wrong with me just staying like what I am? Leave me alone, church member. Leave me alone, preacher. I'm okay. I'm good. How many times have I heard that out and just say, oh, I'm good. Uh, what they mean is I don't want to go to church. I don't want the Bible. I don't need your Savior. Okay, but save from what? And then it gets deeper, doesn't it? And then number five, it implies also that there must be a true Savior. Many people, many people think, well, I can, I, I can count on somebody, but no, there, there has to be just one true Savior. There must be a Savior. Not only is it a person that's outside of yourself, somebody else, but there has to be one. So we, we have this well of salvation that we draw from. Jesus is the one and only salvation Savior. And you know that when he talked with the woman at the well, um, let's, look, let's go to John chapter 4. I, wanted, I want you to see how wonderful this is. Um, in chapter number 4 of John, you'll find uh, verse number 6. This was a very, very popular place in Palestine. It was Jacob's well. You might, might want to take time to go study about Jacob's well. Jacob's well. Now, in verse number 6, now Jacob's well was there. That is in a place called Sychar. And uh, we know that there was an offensive thing going on in Judea, Judea that, that moment. Um, uh, the uh, Samaritans, they, they didn't have anything to do with the Jews. The Jews didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. There was a rift between them socially and religious and racial. Uh, there was all kinds of animosity. And to this day, there's, uh, there's that hatred. But let's, let's, let's go to verse 6. It says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into, unto the city to buy meat. They, they went into Samaria or Sychar. Now, verse 9 says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him. Now, watch this. There's implications here. How is it that thou, being a Jew, how did she know he was a Jew? Because that was all of Judea. There must have been something that was different about the woman and Jesus as far as an identifying characteristic of some kind that she realized he was a Jew and she wasn't. It might have been dress. It might have been dialect. <coughs> it might have been that he spoke to her in Hebrew. I don't know. But she said to him, how is it that thou being a Jew 
askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. Here's the key. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I'm glad we don't care where you're from anymore. I'm glad we don't care what race a person is. The Baptist churches of America are the greatest, most tolerable people in the whole world. We are the most inclusive people in the world. We don't care who comes to our church from whatever country they're from. We don't care what language they speak. We don't have this. We don't care what race they are. We don't care what color they are. We want everybody to know Jesus Christ. The Jews, though, have no dealings with the Samaritans. There was a huge rift. They, they, they were very, very offensive toward the Jews because Samaria did not recognize Jerusalem as the capital of, uh, of Israel. And so they put they, they had their own high priest, they had their own worship, and they, they centered around Jacob's well. All right, let's go on though. So there was a big problem here. The woman saith, or excuse me, verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, <coughs> and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. Living water. That's the key today. Drawing out of the wells of salvation. Let me ask you something. Do we have any place on earth right now, uh, and I'm not talking about in heaven, but is there any place on earth that we can get living water and draw from the wells of salvation? I believe there is. I believe, number one, it's the churches that preach the right gospel. I mean the true gospel, not a cult, although there have been times when people have uh, unfortunately uh, been in a cult and somehow miraculously they got saved while they were in the cult. That's very rare. Very rare you have a, a staunch Roman Catholic church actually have somebody actually get saved and baptized because they, they can't do the, the baptism because you can't, you can't uh, uh, have an authoritative scriptural baptism in a Roman Catholic church by a Roman Catholic priest. They have to get saved and get out. That's happened to my mother-in-law. And before she got out, she tried to win the Catholic Church to the Lord. And she had a big fight with her priest and everybody. And they basically told her, Jan, if you're going to, you got to get out of here. We don't want you anymore. If you're going to believe all this stuff, just find another place. And she's, she fought with him for a little while. But when you realize she was butting her head up against a brick wall, she left. She got out. She got out of Egypt, right? Amen. And where did she end up? She ended up in a good, solid uh, Bible-preaching, gospel-preaching Baptist church where she was drawing water out of the wells of salvation. I've been hanging around Jacob's well for a long time. I've been hanging around the wells of salvation. Number two, though, it's not just the church, but it's also the Christian. Jesus said, if you're saved, you have eternal life, the water of life in you. You have living water, and it will boil up and, and, and perk up, and, and people can uh, draw out of you. You can win somebody to the Lord. You can actually give a cup of living water to somebody and have them drink. 
It's amazing, isn't it? What would you do if you had no uh, block or no hindrance of money in your life? What if, what if you were so rich that you could just go around and just give out gold bars and diamonds and rubies and gems just to anybody? You'd have your pockets were flush with $100 bills and you'd just give stacks and stacks of money. Would you ever do that if you didn't have any limit to the money that you had? Wouldn't it be fun to go and see somebody struggling and just start giving them all kinds of cash? I mean, that, that, that in, a, in a microcosm, that's really what we have. We have the ability to give the truth, the gospel, the tracts, and the witnessing. So we have the eternal life in us, and it is free to give away, and it is good. I've offered so many people a cup of living water. I've offered them. In fact, I have tried to douse them with a fire hose of living water. And people have walked away. No thanks, I'm not thirsty. Oh, listen, it doesn't, doesn't uh, stop me from wanting to give out eternal life. You say, are you the Savior? Of course not. But I know him, and I know what he told me to do, and I know what he gave me, and I know he hadn't given, taken it back. Isn't it amazing that you have that living water that you can give away? Jesus is the only salvation Savior. And he gave that woman water, and she drank. Let's look at it. The, uh, the woman said, verse 11, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Hallelujah. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself? and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this well shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him. Are you with me? In him a well of water. <laughs> Where is this well that, that they're talking about in Isaiah? Draw water out of the wells of salvation. That's you and me. That's you and me. That's the church. That's this pulpit. That's this Bible. That's you and me. That's Jesus. You have the responsibility of giving water, springing up into you, up into everlasting life so others can drink. Have you ever given a drink of spiritual water to people? My goodness, it's one of the greatest things and, you know, she did drink, and I'll make a long story short. She went in, and she told everybody, you got to come and see. you got to hear this man. He told me everything I did. And, of course, there had to be some truth involved with that. And she said, I'd like to have a drink. He said, go get your husband. Whoa. You see what happened is he, he, she had to be honest, right? She had to be honest. I don't have a husband. He said, that's right. You don't. And the one you're with now, the man that you're living with, he's not your husband. And you've had, what What did he say, six, five? You've had five. Boy, about that time, I bet you she really understood what was going on, huh? She surely understood because she never told him that he, she had five husbands. That's not the discussion. Jesus looked right through her. And you know what he did? That's, he did something so miraculous that... He does that with us, too. 
Nobody knows you like Jesus does. Nobody knows your past. Nobody knows your present. And nobody knows your future like Jesus does. He's the only one with living water. He's the only one that can give that to you. But now, because we have him, we give, we give people a drink of living water. Jesus is the only salvation Savior. Now, let's go quickly before we run out of time today to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. I love this Bible. I love this wonderful book that we have. It is absolutely amazing. Because you get to see all the miraculous mysteries. Some of them are are just still un, uh, unfolded, but boy, the what we do know. Now watch this now. In verse number 9 of 21, I'd like you to go there, please. And we're going to skip around through the chapter a little bit quicker now. Nine, Verse 9 through 12, look at this. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of seven last plagues and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I'll show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto stone most precious, uh, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And verse 12 says, And had a wall great and high, had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Now let's skip to verse 21, please. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. Let's skip to 23 now. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. This is the whole world coming to Jerusalem and bringing their honor and their glory, all the nations. Now, think about what that's going to mean. What are they coming for? Well, if you look in the Bible, farther, farther in the description of, of, the, uh, of the, the, the kingdom of heaven, there's a, a river coming out of the throne of God, the river of life. Now, I was thinking the other day when I was thinking about this. Think about there's a river coming out of the throne. Where does that river go? No doubt it feeds the whole land. It feeds everyone. But this is not just normal water. This is the water that feeds the tree of life and the river of life. You take a drink of that, and what happens? You, you have not only the blessing of being saved, but you get to taste what the water of life, the real water. I'm talking about not spiritual water, this is actually water that you can hold in a cup and it's feeding the tree of life, which has 12 manner of fruits every month. It, it, it goes 12 months out of the year. 
Think of the, the miraculous water that comes out of the throne of God. But I was thinking also, when you study water, you think, wait a minute. Okay, I went to Deception Pass the other day, Monday, and I went over to Oak Harbor to go to a, uh, a conference over there. But what I saw was, as I went up the mountain toward Deception Pass, there was a lake there called Lake Campbell. Compared to the level of Lake Campbell and the valley of, I think it's Skagit Valley, how did that water get up through the mountain, up to Lake Campbell's level, and then after Lake Campbell, it goes down, and then you have Deception Pass, which goes all the way down into the canyon of the water, and the bridge goes across Deception Pass. Why is there a beautiful, clear lake of fresh water higher than the sea of the bay level and higher than the uh, Skagit Valley? Why is it that when you come up, you have this beautiful lake? I think that's a, that's a miracle to me. I don't know what a, I think the term is aquifer. I don't know. But there is water in lakes that are way up on Mount uh, Baker. And then you have valleys and valleys and valleys, the Nooksack Valley. You have the Skagit Valley and all these valleys. And then all of a sudden, up on other mountains, you've got a lake. My goodness, I can't figure this out. Doesn't water flow downhill? How come there's lakes way up? Where does, that, where does it come from? God pushes it up. God pushes it up. It's amazing. It's a whole scientific thing. In, in fact, in Orcas Island, I have a friend that lives over there. He, he sunk a well on his property. And uh, in order to have a house and build a house, I think you have to have at least two or three gallons per minute that would come up in order for you to live there. So he has uh, three or four gallons a minute. And so they allowed him to build a house up there. So he built a house on his property. But wait a minute. If you get in a boat, from Fairhaven, and you take a, 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 a ferry all the way across all that salt water, and then way over there in, in, in uh, Orcas Island, and you have this ability to drill down and get fresh water. I'm amazed at that. And yet God says, you're going to draw water out of the wells of salvation. You know, John 7 says, out of your belly shall flow rivers. Let's look at John 7, and we're going to be finished. I'm sorry. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. And I, I want you to know that we don't have to wait for our time in heaven. We don't have to wait until we die. We don't have to wait until uh, we end this life to realize that God has given us the same promise as he did 2,000 years ago to his disciples out of your belly, out of inside of me and you. Uh, verse 37, let's go there. John 7 and verse 37. In, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Now, he wasn't at Jacob's well there, was he? What in the world is he talking about? Spiritual water. 
He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You don't have to go to a high priest. You don't have to you, you don't you don't have to go to Israel. You don't have to wait until Jesus comes back. You can draw well draw out of the wells of water right now, the wells of salvation. I don't even have time to go back. You know, uh, in Exodus, don't turn there. I, I just want to finish. But in Exodus chapter 15, Israel was just about to get the Ten Commandments, chapter 20. They were in the wilderness. And you know what they did? They started criticizing God. They started criticizing him. And they said, Moses, you just brought us out here. The only reason you brought us out here is just to kill us. Moses didn't do that. Moses cried out to the Lord and said, I need help. So guess what they ran into? You'll find this in Exodus 15. Guess what they ran into? They ran into a place where in the desert there were 12 wells of water. It's amazing, isn't it? I'm drawing water out of that well every day. I go to my Bible. I have prayer. I love Christians. I love other people. I get a drink from other Christians sometimes when I'm dry and thirsty. Some brother or some sister will say something sweet. Maybe give me um, a reminder of something that God said. And I'll thanks for the drink of water. Listen, we, we, are, we are wells ourselves. Thank God for that. Let's, let's make sure that somebody drinks from us today. Let's bow our heads for prayer. The wells of salvation is not something we have to wait for. 